0: Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you with me. My guest is retired NFL player, George Jones. George was a former running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Cleveland Browns. He also wrote a book called The Present Dad. George has a powerful story to share about his life and a testimony to why fathers are so important. George, thank you so much for coming on the Fatherhood Challenge. Jonathan, I appreciate you having me. And true to our tradition, do you happen to have a dad joke for us?
1: Yes, I do. My joke is, why did the coach go to the bank?
0: Hmm. Why did the coach go to the bank? Why is that? To
1: get his quarterback. (laughs) You like that one?
0: (laughs) I love that one. Uh, (laughs) That is awesome. uh, Just to let those listening in right now know, I did not know this joke in advance. I had no idea what, what his dad joke was going to be. So, this is really, really good,
1: yeah, I wanted to put a little uh football flavor onto it
0: yeah i I think you I think you hit that one out of the stadium. I appreciate <laughs> that one's good. it. Your life is quite an inspirational story, to say the very least and it's it's been a journey, i would say of both despair and of hope and of success with lots of hard work along the way. There are so many lessons we can learn from your story, so I'm going to just stay quiet as possible so you can share it with us.
1: Okay, Jonathan, I'm going to try to take you from the beginning as far as I can remember back up to present day. So I'm born and raised in Greenville, South Carolina, the South, Um, just like most uh, kids who lived in poverty. I was one of those. I ran around in the summertime hanging with friends. I didn't um, have a father growing up. My father passed away before I was born. So I had a single mother, single parent mother at home with three other siblings. So like most kids that come from my neighborhood, you know, we just ran wild and did what we wanted to do most of the time. So I can remember as early as I would say in seventh grade. So before that, I, I just did typical things. I played football I wasn't really that good at it at the time. I didn't start a football game, literally start, until I was in the eighth grade. But up be, before that, I used to just, you know, hang out with the kids in the neighborhood, go swim in ponds, go, you know, in the uh, the forests, the bushes, and go eat the wild berries off there and just, you know, fill my day up with hanging around kids from the neighborhood. So in 1987, when I was in middle school, I met a young man, a kid at the time, Nathan Broom. He asked me to come over to his home and eat dinner. I was very reluctant to do that. I didn't want to do it because I had never been over to an individual's house who didn't look like me. He kept asking me. So I eventually um, gave in and I went over there. And that decision probably was the greatest decision that I ever made in life up to that point. Now, mind you, like I said, I didn't have a father growing up. I had no male mentors, no male figures that I looked up to. Um, I didn't look up to any football players, anybody like that. But in 1987, when I met the Brooms, uh, in particular, Monty Broom and Jackie Broom, Monty Broom was the person, the first, male person that I say that I can say I ever loved. And he don't look like me. He is a older white man, but he treated me from day one in 1987 till present day. Like I was his own flesh and blood son. And what really uh, solidified how I felt about him. And um, I remember he was asking Jonathan, he asked me or Nate, Who wants to cut the grass? And at that time, I just wanted to impress him so bad. I wanted to show him um, that I could do things and I wanted him to be proud of me. So I said, yeah, I'll I'll cut the grass. And it was like a ride of lawnmower. I had never used a ride a lawnmower before. I saw how he did it and how Nate did it. So I said, I think I can do this. I was doing well as I was going back and forth, you know, up and down the yard but it got to a point where i had to cut around the uh, mailbox so i tried to you know cut around the mailbox but i didn't do a good job and i end up chopping the mailbox down and i was like yes i chopped it down and i was like oh my god Um, mr broom is going to be mad at me he's going to send me home he's going to tell me i can never come back over here but jonathan he did the opposite he said, George, it's okay. We can replace that. I just appreciate that you gave the effort in trying to cut the grass. Up to that point, if I had did anything like that, I would have gotten in trouble. I would have gotten in trouble by, um, like, my uncle or somebody like that who were the um, the guys who were disciplining us. So from that point, when, when Mr. Broom, Monty, uh, did that for me I, I knew that was the he was the guy I wanted to emulate and again it's so strange because um, growing up I would have never thought that it would be a white man that would be the first male that I ever loved as a role model. So you fast forward to eighth grade he asked for me to uh, play on his son's team East Side Dolphins and I said, yes, I'll play. But I said, Mr. Broom, I, I can't afford uh, registration. I don't have any, you know, football gear, no helmet, no shoulder pads or anything like that. He said, George, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I got everything. I'll take care of everything. And I'm like, for real? And he like, yes, I got everything. So that was my first season ever starting in football so then i got to high school and you know i was still really close to them but my 10th grade year we got evicted from our apartment now mind you i hadn't told uh mr broom or the brooms this because i and people ask me all the time why didn't you ever tell you know mr broom and jackie i was like i couldn't burden them with this big thing that happened to me they had already been good to me they let me come over and spend the night and eat and swim and do jet ski and do all those things that a kid in my position would have never got to do. So I could not burden them with taking on a 16 year old kid and providing clothes, food, shelter, all that. I just couldn't do it. I I could not uh, bear that on that responsibility on them. So uh, from my 10th grade year until I graduated high school, I was pretty much homeless most of that time, and I lived, uh, I stayed with a friend in the neighborhood who kind of, it was like a a crack house that they ran out out of the apartment, and I stayed there for about six months, and that just didn't work out because they were just coming back and forth, back and forth, and I, you know, I couldn't do that anymore, so I I asked some friends on the team, could I stay with them, And, and I talked to their father's. And I had a job at the time at Dundee's Outback. So they allowed me to um, work and then I paid them a little rent every month. So those last two years of high school, they were really difficult. And, you know, I was a really good football player. From that point, my grades and everything just plummeted. So because I was under so much pressure, so much stress, that I kept it in, I didn't tell anybody about it. And when it was time to go to college, my senior year, I had nowhere to go. And I felt really, really bad. So it was a guy named um, James Pugh who played on the team with me. His dad, Mr. Pugh, I'm not for sure how he got the contact, but he had a contact out at Bakersfield Junior College in Bakersfield, California. So Monty, big man, I call him, Monty, Said, okay, George, this is what you're going to do. We're going to go there. Me and uh, Jackie is going to buy you the ticket. I said, money. I-, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Can you get me a job here in Greenville? Because I'm afraid to go. I- I've never been on a plane. I don't know anybody out there. And I I just can't go 2,000 miles away from home without anybody being out there. I, I just was not confident in myself yeah. And my abilities as a football player. So throughout that summer, Monty kept telling me, George, you're going to go. We bought the ticket. You're going to get on that plane and go. And I just kept begging him and begging him that, you know, I don't want to go, Monty. I don't I'm, please don't make me go. So come the day it's time to go. I remember him and his uh he had a, a Buick, a silver Buick two-door silver Buick, and um, he drove me to Greenville-Spartanburg Airport. And just me and him were talking, and I'm crying all the way to the airport. And I'm like, please don't make me go. I don't want to go. I just want to get a job here, please. He said, no, you're going. And remember, that was before 9-11. Back then, you can have someone to go up to the gate with you. And so he went up to the gate with me. We sat there. and We talked the whole time. And I was just still crying and like, please don't make me do this. So I end up getting on the plane and I remember sitting beside this elderly lady and I just, she was like, "Uh, son, what's wrong? You know, she's asking me what's wrong. And I explained to her what was wrong. And I, I cried the entire way from Greenville, South Carolina to Los Angeles, California, where I went to you know LAX airport for the first time and it was like I was so lost in there and I'm like tracking people down to ask you know how do I get to the next terminal to get to my little flight from Los Angeles to Bakersfield California so a lady helped me there and then I got on the flight I got to Bakersfield and then I remember a guy I had no idea who he was I had no idea who the coaches were I had never seen a coach. I had never talked to the coach. I didn't talk to anybody. I got there, they dropped me off at the dorms, and I never seen the guy who picked me up from the airport again. So those uh, first 2 or 3 weeks before we started everything, that it was like the worst time in my life. I cried like every night for like those 2 or 3 weeks because I was at the time lonely, I was scared. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And so at during that time, there was no Facebook, no social media, no, no cell phones, none of that. So I had no contact with anybody back in Greenville, South Carolina. So big man money wrote me a letter every week for an entire year to help me get through my first year of junior college football at Bakersfield. And I'm telling you, Jonathan, if he didn't do that, I wouldn't have made it because I just didn't have the confidence in myself as a human being and as a uh, athlete. And so I had a great freshman season. I ended up being player of the year with uh, a friend of mine, Keyshawn Johnson. And then I remember after the season, Coach Bowser, at that during that time, he didn't call me George anymore. He called me Jonesy. He said, Jonesy, if you come back in tremendous shape, you know, know the office and be ready to go, we will design the office around you. That's all I needed to hear right there because at that time, no coach had ever, when I say Jonathan believed in me, like Coach Bowser, that was the first time a coach ever believed in me. And I went home, I worked, and I lift weights, and I trained. That's all I did. So I came back. Coach Bowser kept his word, and then the rest was history. I ended up being a national player of the year, breaking the national record, which still stands today with 34 touchdowns in 10 games. And, you know, I had my pick of what colleges I wanted to go to, and then that got me to the NFL, and the rest was history. Now, as far as the fatherhood stuff, Jonathan, my whole life, I never got to say these three letters in this little, in this one little word. D-A-D, dad. I wanted to be a dad. I can't probably since I was probably like six or seven years old. I never got to say that to anybody. I look at Monty now as, as my dad. But at the time, I didn't call him dad. I called him Mr. Broom or Big Man. But now I call him dad. It was just, Broome. yeah, and and um, when I used to watch him and Jonathan, when I say watch him, I was studying uh, big man, Monty Broome. I was studying him like I was studying plays. I will hang on every word he say. I would just look at him and see how he treated his wife, Jackie, and his two kids, Nathan and Leah. And I was like, wow, that is how you're supposed to be a dad. That's how you're supposed to do it. And so in in those early years, he was the person that I looked up to on how I should be a dad. And so when I got the opportunity to be a dad with my wife, uh, Katie Ray Jones, she is the CEO of the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It was, uh, I told her right when I met her that I, you know, I wanted to be a dad and I wanted to be a stay home dad. So now... Most people think I get all the credit for, you know, doing the stuff with the kids and everything, but I got to give give Katie credit because she is the one that allowed me to live out my dream, to be a stay-at-home dad, and she was, she was my biggest supporter, and I don't think I could have done this without her support, and you know the old saying, you can't accomplish anything great without help, and Katie was a big help to me. Uh, dealing um with that so once uh, we had kids in 2007 I didn't have any answers there was no book on us no playbook and you know I probably made mistakes just like everybody else but i i I kept on fighting I kept on trying to learn and then my middle son was born in, in 2009. My oldest son was born in two thousand and seven. Two years later, we had our son Max. Now, my son, our son Max, you know, was born with Down syndrome, and so that that just threw us off guard. And that, for me, I was in a total—I—I I don't know—for three years, Jonathan, I cried every day. I, I just couldn't believe it, man. I—I—I I, I just thought, you know, being a good human being and Being a good person, you know, that God wouldn't do that to to anybody. But at the time, I didn't understand why I was faced with this us, me and Katie, this challenge of having a son with special needs. And now he has autism as well. So after three years went by, I, you know, I had to get out of this funk and and say, I said, George, we can't, you know, waddle in pity anymore. You got to do right by Max. You got to be the father that you know you can be. And so from that point, you know, I wiped all the tears away and I did what I was supposed to do. I'm not going to lie. It, It was very difficult and it's still difficult to this day. But I wouldn't change anything about having Max as my son because Max... Gave me something that I I don't think I had before that, which is empathy. I don't think I had empathy like I have now um, when I see kids with special needs. Now, when I see kids with special needs, I try to love them, give them a hug, shake their hand, fist pump them, everything, because I know what the parents are going through. Mm -hmm. I know how hard it is. So. For me, anytime um, I see kids that have special needs, I give them all the attention and love that they need. So I am so grateful for Max because without Max, I would have never had that. And also, if Max would have been a a, a typical kid, our son Cooper, who is 10 years old, he would never be here. And I, I cannot see life without him now because he's given us the greatest joy uh, of, you know, for me being his father. So, you know, sometime in life when things don't go your way, you know, you complain and you, you know, have self-pity and everything. But at the end of the light, the good Lord put that in your life for a reason. And I think for us and for me in particular, the good Lord put Max in my in, in my path for me to have empathy for others and to be the best possible father I could be. Now, we, we went through, you know, having the three boys. Now, I still, at the time, Jonathan, I still had doubts about being a great father and doing and being the best possible father I could. So I remember, I think it was about six years ago, I saw a movie on ESPN, a documentary series, whatever you want to call it. It's called The Book of Manning. And The Book of Manning is about uh, the Manning family, Archie Manning, Olivia Manning, Cooper Manning, Peyton Manning, and Eli Manning. So they were talking about Archie and his father and how he grew up and, you know, how his dad didn't say the words, I love you and this and that. So I was following closely on that, and I was watching how, how kind, how patient he was with his kids, and, um, and I'm talking about Archie. And so I watched the show, and I was very emotional about it. And I was like, wow, man, why am I, why am I feeling so emotional about this? You know, I'm, I'm like crying. I'm serious. Next day, you know, I, I, I recorded it. I said, when I'm by myself, I'm going to watch it again. So I end up watching it again, and I start crying again, and I'm like, George, you're not doing the right. You're not doing as best as you could as a father for the boys. So I end up reaching out to Archie. Got got connected with Archie. He called me. We talked on the phone for about three hours, and I just totally I went, yeah, I I went totally full transparent and said, Archie, I just don't feel like. I'm doing a good job as a father. Can you help me? I I I I look at you as the gold standard with your three sons and how you you treat them. And you know he was asking me questions, and I told him I don't think I'm doing a good job. You know, as a father and a good job when I coach them, I don't think I do the right things. And then he was asking me for examples. I said, well. Like when G.J. will play in a game when he was really young, I put too much expectation on him. And and that was unfair of me to do that to him because he 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 gave me everything he got. But I was looking through the prism of a former NFL running back, not a kid who was eight, nine, 10 years old. And so when we would get in the car, I wouldn't I would go straight to the negative. G.J., why did you do this? Why did you do that wrong? Why did you do this? So my relationship with G.J. was pretty strained and um, and kind of distant. And most people don't know that because they see the end results of what we are at now. So Archie, um, I told him all that and he gave me some pointers on what he did with Peyton and Cooper and Eli. And I started applying those to my everyday life. And lo and behold, my relationship with the boys went from like one to a thousand. Hmm. And that's when I knew I had it then, when I asked for the help. And and the crazy thing about it, Jonathan, for men, we are so ego-driven, so ego-driven. We will not ask for help when it comes to our personal life or being a father or being a husband but we will ask for other things, uh, help from people. Mm-hmm. I just think at that time, I um, needed to be vulnerable. I needed to be humbled and I needed to help. So uh, uh, Archie Manny could have said no. And, and I'm just so internally grateful that he did not say no. And it has changed my life pretty much forever. And now when I have any questions about fatherhood or anything else. Archie has been through everything that I'm going through. So he is a great mentor along with Monty Broome. And those are the two most important people in my life that's helping me with fatherhood and just life in general. So again, like I said earlier, you can't be good or successful at anything without help. You have to have help. And that's what I've gotten along the way. And so most people you know, try to give me the credit or, you know, being the best possible father I can to our three boys. But it's not, it's not just me. It's, it's Katie is Archie is money. Um, I've asked Eric Dickerson for advice. I've asked Emmett Smith. I've asked a number of people because I will ask anybody anything. If it can make me be a better father, if they say no, they say no, but I'm going to ask for the help because For me, my job and I only got one job is to help them raise them to be good citizens, good human beings and help them live out their dreams. And I and I want to leave a legacy for the boys because now I'm starting that family tree with me because I don't have a family tree uh, for my for my family. So I'm starting it with me. And then it's going to venture down to G.J. and Cooper. And then when they have their families, um, that's how we're going to do it. And so that is my that's my goal. And that's my promise to the boys. I'm going to do everything humanly possible. I'm not going to you You will never uh, not see me at any games, practices, anything for school, uh, field trips. I'm doing everything for me. I don't. I've pretty much given up my own identity for myself. And that's the way I wanted to do it because when you have kids, the kids should come first before anything and anybody else. So for me, um, these three boys, I I can't see life without them. I mean, I would be miserable if I didn't have them to, to be honest with you, being a father, people ask me all the time about, you know, playing in the NFL, scoring a touchdown and, you know, doing all these wonderful things in football. I said, yeah, playing football in the NFL was just the icing on the cake. But I said, the greatest thing that God has ever given me is the opportunity to be a dad and to be a father because I want to be there for G.J., Max, and Cooper as they grow up and get older. I want to be there to help them through this process and help them uh, to be the best possible Father, husband, uh, citizen, um, somebody in society that's a giver and not a taker. So that's what I'm focused on, and I will be focused on that until the day the good Lord take me from this earth. Fatherhood is the uh, greatest thing that. Uh, sorry, I'm getting emotional about it. Is the greatest thing that uh, I've ever been given. It's the greatest, the greatest joy that um I've ever been given so this is everything for me
0: there's a lot of wisdom drawn from your personal experience and an experience that you're still living even to this day so the present dad definitely a must have and I'm going to make it easier for those listening to be able to get the book so if you go to the fatherhoodchallenge.com that's the fatherhoodchallenge.com and you go to the episode description for this episode look right below the episode description there will be a link if you click on that link it'll take you right to where you can purchase the book and those that want to learn a little more about your story they can also go to your website at thepresentdad.com that's thepresentdad.com i will also post that link in the episode description george thank you so much for your time thanks for coming on the fatherhood challenge
1: Jonathan, I'm internally grateful that you allowed me to come on here and tell my story. Um, I appreciate you, and thank you for uh, putting my story out and letting everybody know.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.